We're going to start a new chapter. It's been uh, several weeks. It was, uh, well, February, several months since the last time we were in Romans together. I'm not going to do a comprehensive review, uh, but I will kind of connect some dots. In fact, tonight, uh, I, don't have, uh, I don't have an outline for you tonight. I don't have any points. In fact, tonight is just an introduction, really, uh, to not just chapter 6, but it's an introduction to chapters 6, 7, and 8. So this is kind of a trio of chapters that are extremely important important to uh, the study of the subject. Now get this now, the subject of sanctification. Okay, And so let me kind of, I'll, I'll catch you up here in just a minute, but the subject of chapters 6, 7, and 8, those go together uh, and that is sanctification. In fact, I'm like, Gary, if you want to just go ahead and put that title up, I don't have any points, but I do got, I don't have a fancy title, but I'm just going to preach on this tonight, and we're going to look at this grace and sanctification. Grace and sanctification, how those two things go uh, together, because really, if, as we read our text here, and I, I may say, make a few comments about verses one and two, but not much, really more going to be an introduction, but uh, but as we read verses 1 and 2, uh, you'll find that it says something about grace. And it says something about the way that we live and, uh, and the relationship that those two things have one to uh, the other. And so grace and sanctification. In fact, why don't we read verses 1 and 2 and uh, we'll read the first two verses together and then we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about grace and sanctification and how those two things operate together. Here's what Paul said. He said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Uh, there are, let's see, one, two, three questions, I believe, in those two verses. He goes on to ask even more questions. There's one in verse number three. Uh, but um, and then like verse 15, there's a lot of questions. But you'll find these questions are more of statements than they are questions. Okay? They're very rhetorical, which means uh, that the answer is so obvious that, uh, that it really doesn't need uh, answering. Uh, in fact, the question itself kind of gives away the answer. It's kind of like when... Uh, you know, you're about to go out and your wife says something like, you're wearing that? Now, that is a question, but how many of you know that's not a question? She's not looking for you to say yes or no. Uh, she is making a statement, and that is, you need to change. You're not, you don't look appropriate, all right, uh, or whatever. So it's a statement question, all right? It's a rhetorical question, and that's what we have then. What shall we say then? Uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Of course, there is an answer, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How is that even possible? And so we're going we're gonna to unpack those verses right there. But I want you to know that the overall theme, not just of chapter 6, but of chapters 6, 7, and 8, is uh, an understanding, a deeper understanding of what we call sanctification. Now, I... I'm pretty sure that most everybody in here probably has an idea of what sanctification is. But let me give you an official definition. 
Sanctification is the act of making holy. Uh, it is consecration. That is the setting apart or the setting, of, setting aside uh, for something that is sacred, for something that is for God. It is literally the act by which God is setting us aside unto Himself. He is making us holy. And that is what sanctification is. It is the process. It is literally becoming what you became when you got saved. And I'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But sanctification is the act of making holy. It's a, it has to do with our lifestyle, the way that we live. And these three chapters that we have here in Romans, right in the middle of the heart of Romans, really are the... Uh, they're the guts, if you will, of sanctification. It's the, it's the wiring. It's what's on the inside. If you were to, uh, like, like a clock and take it apart and see how it ticks and see how the gears go together and how everything moves, that's what chapters 6, 7, and 8 are with the doctrine of sanctification. How does this doctrine operate? How is it fleshed out? What, there's some questions that obviously surround this and how does it how does it operate? And so as we look at these three chapters over the next probably few months, uh, we're going to find out how sanctification ticks, how it, all, how it all operates. Now here's where I'll connect these chapters to the rest of the book. If you remember chapters 1, 2, and 3, that was the gloom, that was the doom, that was the judgment. That is, we're all sinners, we're all deserving of judgment. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew under the law or if you're a Gentile born outside of the law. We are all under condemnation. The whole world is... Uh, 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 silent. I mean, our mouths are stopped. We have nothing to say. We have no excuse. We are absolutely guilty before a holy God. And so over, chapter, over chapters 1, 2, and 3, you could write the word condemnation because that is exactly where we're at. There is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's the kind of things you'll find in uh, the first three chapters of the book of Romans. But then when we get to chapter 4, when we got to chapter 4 and chapter 5, there's another theme over those two chapters, and that was the theme justification. And that is the legal process by which God declares a sinner righteous. Somebody that is under condemnation, somebody that is worthy of judgment, somebody that is, I mean, they are a sinner, they are on their way to hell, and what does God do? God justifies them. How does He do it? He does it by faith. When the, when the sinner puts his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is justified, declared holy. Remember Abraham is our prototype, Romans 4. Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. As soon as Abraham put his faith in what God said, God said, boom, you are not a sinner anymore. In the courtroom of heaven, your legal status has been changed. You are righteous. You are holy in the sight of God. All right? That's justification. And chapters 4 and 5 tell us it's by faith and it is by grace. 
It is by faith and it is by grace. It is by faith in the sense that the sinner must put his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that's when the transaction takes place. It is by grace in the sense that God... Uh, it is not by works. God gives us that status, not by any works that we do. Grace is literally God giving us something that we do not deserve, something that we have not earned, something that we have not worked for, we have not merited on our own. And so God gives us that by, by His grace, all right? And so condemnation, justification. And then, of course, when we get to chapter 6, 7, and 8, what's our theme of these chapters? Sanctification. That's right. So here we are talking about sanctification. Now, you, I know you've heard me, you've heard preachers say this, I'm sure, a lot. And then I, I've said it a lot here lately as well as we've studied Romans. And that is, we think of salvation in three different aspects. There is uh, justification. That's what we just talked about. That's when you got saved, you got justified immediately. Right when the faith was placed in Jesus, boom, justified. Your legal status has been changed. You are declared righteous by God. He's the judge. His, his is the only opinion that matters. And so, boom, you know, shakalaka, there you are. You're justified, all right? Uh, but then there's what? Sanctification, right? That's the part where God's working on us, and we're becoming what we became. And that's what we're talking about here. And then what's the last part is uh, glorification, right? That's when we are saved from the very presence of sin. One day we're going to get glorified bodies. One day we're going to be like Jesus. One day we're going to be just like Him. No sin, no disease, no anything. Just all perfect. We'll get them resurrected bodies. Somebody say amen right there. Glorification. Thank God for that. Okay. Well, sanctification, the doctrine of sanctification almost works just entirely like that. Really, it does. There's three aspects of sanctification. The first is uh, positional sanctification. And that is that we are right now sanctified. Now, when I talk about holy, I'm talking about sinless. I'm talking about no sin. I'm talking about just like God, righteous, just not righteous, just like a, our, our paperwork, legal standing. But I'm talking about, I'm talking about made holy, right? We're positionally in Christ, we are holy. We are just as holy as God is holy positionally. Uh, if you want a verse on that, uh, you can look at, uh, Brother Garrett can throw this up here. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 6.11. The verses before that, remember Paul talked to the church at Corinth about, you know, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he lists a whole group of, of, of sinners that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes into verse number 11. He says, and such were some of you. Some of you in the church of Corinth, that was your resume. That was your history. That was your past. But what is your status now? You're washed. You're sanctified. There it is. That's past tense. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You are sanctified. So in one sense, positionally, we are sanctified. We're just as clean. We're just as holy. We're just as pure as we ever will be. And we believe that by faith because I, I don't know about you, but I certainly can't see it right now. I just have to believe it. That's what God, God said, I'm sanctified. So I say, all right, that's what you say. <laughs> I believe it. All right. Now, when I look in the mirror, I don't see sanctified. Uh, when I look at y'all, I don't see sanctified. <laughs> when you look at me, you don't see sanctified. Uh, but the good news is when God looks at me, he sees sanctified because I'm in Christ. I've been baptized into Christ. Now, we ain't even going to get into that, but that's, uh, that's verse 3, all right? So maybe next week. I'm in Christ. I'm immersed. I've been put in Christ, all right? So positionally, 
we're sanctified, okay? But now there is not only positional sanctification, but there is what we call, and this is what we're going to be dealing with, and this is what we all, this is where we're all living right here. We call it progressive sanctification. All right, progressive sanctification. What does that mean? Progressive. That means it's an ongoing process, right? That means it's something. That means he's working on us every single day. How about Philippians 1.6? Throw that one up there. Here's a good progressive sanctification verse. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you. Okay, there's justification. There's positional truth. He begun that good work, but he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? He's working on me. He's working on me. Another verse, I didn't put it, I didn't put it on there, Brother Garrett, but another good verse, 2 Corinthians 3. I think it's the very last verse where it talks about we're being changed into the image of Christ from glory to glory. There is, there's a, we're being conformed into the image of Christ. That is progressive sanctification. We are being made holy. That is the act. That is really, when we really honestly, when we think of sanctification, this is the side of sanctification we're thinking of. We're thinking of uh, the fact that God is working on us. And those that He justifies, He begins the process of sanctification on those people. And, he is, and that's why He lets trouble in your life. That's why He lets... Uh, there's chastisement in your life. That's why there's training and teaching. And He's knocking off all the, all the rough edges and He's working on you. It's like the old illustration that every preacher uses about, about the man that uh, uh, was... Uh, carving a horse, right? He's got a big block of marble and he's chiseling a horse and somebody asked the master artist, how in the world are you going to take this block of marble and make a horse out of it? And what does he say? He said, I'm going to knock off everything that don't look like a horse. And that's, then boom, you get a horse, all right? Well, that's what God's doing on us. He's knocking everything off that don't look like Jesus, all right? And it hurts and it's not fun, okay, uh, all the time. And a lot of times it's painful. But what is he doing? He's making us like Jesus. He's making us all. He's trying to knock all the sin out of you, all right? He's trying to get the you out of you and get the Jesus out of you, all right? Uh, and so he is work. That's sanctification. He is working on us. Uh, I know this is not as good as the horse illustration, but this is my illustration, all right? This is not anywhere near horse illustration uh, level. Uh, but uh, at the house, normally, and I didn't Monday night. We, we, we made some bacon Monday night, but Katie fried the bacon Monday night. Mama helped her, and Katie fried the bacon. But usually, I'm the, I make the bacon at the house. I bring it home, I make it. All right, is that, that's the way it works. So I'm the bacon-making machine at the house, right? That's my title. And, uh, but I was instructing Katie a little bit Monday night, so I let her in on my secret. You know, how do you, how do you know when it's done? You know, I put the bacon on the griddle there. We got a little flat top thing. How do you know when it's done? I, and I told Katie, and this is my rule when I'm making bacon. Uh, my rule is you know when it's done when it looks like uh, you can eat it. When it looks like a piece of bacon that you would eat, take it off. Uh, take it off. That's how you know it's done. And uh, when it looks like something you would eat. Take it off, all right? Well, that's us. We're a bunch of uh, raw meat on the grill, all right? He's cooking us, getting the imperfection out, getting all the disease out. Getting... Now, I'll eat bacon almost raw, so, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't take much. Uh, I just like bacon. I don't care. Uh, when you don't eat a variety of foods, what you do eat, you got to eat a lot of, okay? Uh, and so just to, when it's done, just get it off, get it off. And that's what God's doing in our life. We're not done yet. We're still on the grill, and it's hot, and it hurts, and he's getting stuff out of us that don't need to be there. That's sanctification. It's the act of making you holy. And you ought to be able to look over your life and see how that process is in play in your life. And I'll, I'll say more about that in a minute. 
Because everybody that is justified is undergoing the process of sanctification. God don't skip anybody. He don't leave anybody out. He don't say, well, you know, you're just a mess. We'll just work on you when you get to heaven. No, he works on everybody. He, 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 he chastens every son, every one of them. Every one of them he does. So progressive. And then what is the last aspect of sanctification? Of course, you have positional, progressive, and then it would be what we would call perfected sanctification, which is exactly the same as what? Glorification. That's when we will be made perfect. It's synonymous with glorification. That's when we will be made perfectly holy. So it's almost the same idea when you look into sanctification. It really is the story of salvation where it is positional, it is progressive, and yet it is future as well. And it will be perfected in the future. Justification and sanctification, though, this progressive sanctification and, and, and justification, they're not the same thing. And they, and they cannot be confused. In fact, I made a little, just a little list here, just two columns of, of contrasting justification and sanctification. And I'll just go through this list here with you. What's the difference between justification and sanctification? Justification is our legal standing before God. It has absolutely nothing to do with your works. It has nothing to do with your character. It has nothing to do with how much you sin or how much you do not sin. It has nothing to do with how good you are, how much of the Bible you read and how much you don't read. It has nothing to do with anything. When God declares somebody righteous, they are righteous. They are justified. It is apart and separate from any works that we do. That is justification. Sanctification is is not that. Sanctification is not our standing, but rather it is our walking. It's our walk with the Lord. It involves, it does involve how you live your life. It does involve your works. It does involve how much of your Bible you're reading and how much you're praying and how much you're walking with God and how much sin uh, you know that you are uh, repenting of and things of that nature. There are works involved in sanctification. Uh, in the sense of that there is a, a cooperation, and I, that's a part of this list too. But, but justification is your legal standing before God. Sanctification is your walk, your everyday walk with the Lord. Justification is all about what God has done for me. Okay, He did it for me. All right, He saved me. Sanctification is all about what God is doing in me. Okay? Justification is what God did for me. Sanctification is what God is doing presently inside of me. Justification is a one-time event. You only get saved one time. Sanctification is an ongoing process. It's every day. Okay? Uh, there's a sanctification process that is going on every day. All right? And that is the sense by which we say we are being saved. Right? But yet that is being saved through sanctification. It's an ongoing process. Justification, no works involved on my part at all. Sanctification, I'm responsible to cooperate with the Spirit of God. In fact, chapter 6 will give us one of the key elements to our sanctification, and that is the word yield. You have to yield yourself. Whoever you yield yourself to, that's your master. That's who you will obey. 
Uh, and so there is a responsibility. You have to cooperate. Listen, you can grieve the Spirit. You can quench the Spirit. You can ignore the Spirit, right? There's all kinds of things. That Spirit of God's trying to sanctify you, and if you're not cooperating, if you're, if you're uh, uh, you know, kicking against the pricks, if you will, however you want to describe it, listen, there will not be the same level and measure of sanctification in your life that needs to be there. Justification is all about what took place in heaven. Sanctification is all about what's taking place on earth. Justification is, what, is my salvation in heaven. Okay, That's what God did. In the courtroom of heaven, He changed my legal status. Sanctification is all about how's Chris Simpson living on his earth. Justification is the same for everybody. Okay, There ain't nobody in here that's more justified than anybody else. We're all justified the same. It's, a, it's an equal legal status because we're all in Christ. We're in one man, and so it's all the same. But in sanctification, it's actually different for everybody. Now, this, this is not a moment for pride or comparison or judgmentalism or whatever you want to call it, but there's just the truth. Not everybody is at the, equal, is at the same level of sanctification. It depends how much you're yielding yourself to God. It depends how much you're giving yourself to the Lord. Justification. We're all, there ain't nobody any more saved than anybody in here. But there are people that are more sanctified than others in here. It's just the truth. And if you think you're at the top of that, well, well, God bless you. Maybe not so much. He's still working on you, ain't he? Amen. All right, still working on me. And everyone, those are kind of the comparison contrast, everyone that has been justified is being sanctified. Everybody. There's nobody that misses out on this thing. God does not, listen, God does not save somebody and then leave them alone. That, is not, that, that kind of thinking is foreign to the Bible. There are people that literally believe you just can pray a prayer or sign a card or something like that and then go your whole life and just live in sin and do what you want to do, bear no fruit, no chastisement, nothing, and but yet they're still saved. That's foreign to the Bible. That's the, they got that out of the Bible because they didn't get that in the Bible. Everybody that is justified is being sanctified. Sanctification starts... At the point of justification, if there is no sanctification that is being made and somebody being made holy, then there has been no justification in that person's life. And that's just Bible doctrine. That's, and that's right here in chapter 6, very clear. Uh, and this is nothing new. It's, I mean, it's just right out of the Bible. Uh, think about uh, the good old hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Isn't that, isn't that a good old hymn? Let me hide myself in thee, that the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed. Now listen, have you ever wondered about this line right here? Listen to what it says. Be of sin the what? The double cure. There is a double cure in salvation. Two. The, the hymn writer had it exactly right. These old, these old hymns, they got more doctrine in it than most pastors have. I mean, in their whole library. All right? Good gracious, man. These, these old hymns got more, got more doctrine in one little line of a song than most pastors have had in, in, in 30 years of preaching. But it says, be of sin the double cure. There is a double cure in salvation. And the songwriter tells us exactly what it is. Be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath. 
There's cure number one. That's justification. That is being saved from the penalty of sin. I am saved from the wrath of God. Be of sin the double cure. Saved from wrath, but what's the next one? Make me pure. That's sanctification. That is the other cure of salvation. That, in fact, that is why, listen to me, that is why Jesus died on the cross. That is why He saved you. Listen, you ask most people, why did God save you? To take me to heaven. No, it has nothing to do with heaven. God did not save you to take you to heaven. God saved you to make you holy. That's why God saved He saved you. You're not just saved from hell. You are saved from sin. Sanctification is the process by which we are saved from the power of sin. The bondage of sin. And if there is not a being saved from the power and the bondage of sin, well, then there has not been a salvation from the penalty of sin. And that's what the Bible... It's not about taking you to heaven because, listen, when you, get, you die right now, you're going to go to heaven. You're only going to be there for just a little bit. We're coming back to this earth. It ain't about heaven. We're coming back to this earth. We're going to be here for a while on this earth. And then we're going back. But guess what? Then he's going to just, you know, just destroy all that and make another one. So it's not about heaven. Everybody thinks that's why God saved me so I can go to heaven. No, God saved me to make you holy. It's about Him. It's about Him. And it doesn't say, you know, when, when Jesus uh, uh, raptures us out of here, it doesn't say, and so shall we ever be in heaven. It says, and so shall we ever be where? With the Lord. It's about being with Him. It's about being like Him and being with Him. That's what salvation is about. To save you from sin. When, when God made coats of skin for Adam and Eve, they weren't in hell. They weren't burning, but they were unholy. They were in sin. God saved you to make, saved you to make you holy. And that is the issue of verse number one. Look at it. Let's look at Romans 6 1 again. That's the issue at hand that Paul is dealing with in our verse. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, what Paul is doing right here is he's answering an objection that might come to the gospel of grace. If you go back to chapter number 5, go back to chapter 5 and let's review. Let's look at verse number 20 because this is where it's clear. Romans 5 and verse number 20. Here's what Paul is saying about grace. You remember this? Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Aren't you thankful that God has more grace than what you have sin? Aren't you thankful when you sin, God has grace to forgive you and to take care of that sin? Thank God. We ought to shout all over this place tonight for that. No doubt about it. But here's an objection right here. Paul, he always anticipates the objector, and here's what the objector... And he probably, as he preached this, he probably got these objections so he knew what it would be. And so the objection is this, is that if, if... Think about it. If every time we sin here, grace comes here, it abounds, right? Super abounds, it much more abounds. Sin here, grace here. That means if our sin's here, then the grace is here. I mean, if sin is here, then grace is here. So, you want more grace? More sin? <laughs> right? Just sin all you want. Just do, live like you want to because the more that you sin, the better that makes God look 
in being able to be gracious towards you. Why don't we just keep on sinning? Why don't we just live in sin so that grace can just abound and abound and abound and abound and abound? And that's the idea. Because Paul is dealing with some that, man, they're strict under the law, right? And they're already kind of suspicious about Paul. A lot of people were. When he went, Acts 21, I think it is, when he went back to Jerusalem, you remember they made him, hey, you got to go in that temple and you got to go, you know, purify yourself and go with these boys in here. There's people, listen, you got to explain yourself, Paul. There's people around here think that you're, you know, telling these Gentiles that the law is bad. And so he's already getting a bad rap about the law because he's preaching grace. And so he's answering the objection here, right? Just sin because, great, listen, but on its, on its surface, isn't that, isn't that a ludicrous proposition? It's almost like saying, you know, the reason I'm so messy at home is because I want everybody to know how good my wife is at cleaning the house. Y'all think she would go for that? No, she wouldn't. Hey, aren't you thankful for good firemen? Well, if we want everybody to know how good they are, let's start burning houses down. Then everybody would know in the community how great they are. Let's burn stuff down. That's like, hey, let's go out and commit crime so people will really appreciate our police force out here. It's like, hey, let's go, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's blow our motors up so everybody knows how good a mechanic Derek is, you know. And he is a good one, by the way. Let's, uh, you know, that's just the most ludicrous thing. Let's sin so everybody knows how gracious God is. So more sin, more grace. But honestly... That's the way selfish people that want to sin, that's the way they think, right? I was meditating on this yesterday. And just, you know, sometimes my chair leans both ways. I, I lean up and I read and study. But then you got to lean back and you got to think a little bit. And so I was meditating on this a little bit yesterday, this idea of, of grace, sin, and all these things. And, man, I had an illustration just fall right in my lap. That's what's great about having kids. Uh, you get all kind of illustrations, and the preacher's kids get used in illustrations. I try to keep the preacher's wife out of them, but sometimes she slips in there too, and then I have to sleep on the couch. But if it's a good illustration, you got to do what you got to do. It's part of the job. But oh, uh, <laughs> we had the, uh, the Qualls girls at the house uh, what night? Was it Monday night? Miss Cheryl dropped him off. She went up to the hospital and uh, see the baby born. And so we had Abby and Kaylee and Allie. They come over to our house, 8 o'clock, 8.30, Monday night. Well, you know, uh, our kids got school in the morning. So about 10.30 or so, we put everybody to bed, 11 o'clock to bed. But how many of y'all, I mean, they ain't going to sleep, right? I mean, come on. We all knew that. But about 3.30 in the morning... Gracious, you know, they're just, uh, Wes, he got sleep. He was locked in his room by himself, you know, he slept. But uh, 3.30 morning, the twins' room is just on, like their closet's kind of on the other side just of our wall there. And, uh, you know, I heard a bunch of, you know, yeah, giggling and laughing and bouncing around and all kind of stuff in there. And so I go in there about, it's like 3.30, 3.45 in the morning. I go in there and, you know, I got in my daddy voice, I wasn't mean, all right. I wasn't yelling at nobody. Not when there was other, now, other people's kids weren't there. It would probably been pretty bad. But <laughs> but then my daddy was like, y'all lay down. Don't let me. Next time I come here, I'm going to whoop somebody. 
And, uh, you know, I just pretty much told them they need to lay down and go to sleep. Now, I, they didn't, uh, I don't think. I mean, I think they laid down, but they stayed up until, and they stayed up, I think they said like 4.30 in the morning, something like that. Of course, we get up at 7.30, 7, 7.30 in the morning and get ready and go to school, right? And so Katie is, you know, at her desk. We got a picture of Katie at her desk just sleeping, you know, and Claire is all sleeping. I had to take Katie to piano lessons Tuesday afternoon, and I told the young lady that gives her piano lessons, I don't do piano lessons. I take her to somebody else for piano lessons. And uh, I said, uh, I said, uh, I said, I'm sorry. I said, she just stayed up all night. I said, she's probably just going to bang on the piano. Just her head's going to fall down. But they were done with their work a little bit. And so Heather, uh, uh, she took the twins. They were just sleepy and tired. Heather took the twins home from school early, maybe about 1.30, 2 o'clock. They were done. So they, they, they went home early and they slept. They went home and they, they laid on the couch and they were out the rest of the evening pretty much. Oh, Wes here, buddy boy, I'm going to throw you under the bus here, man. Oh, Wes asked me, he said, uh, he said, hey, he said, if I stay up all night tonight, he said, can I go home from school early tomorrow? <laughs> That's the way his mind was worked. Hold on a second. They did bad, but then they got good. They did what they were not supposed to do. But then mama had grace on them and let them go home early from school. And so in, great, in Wes's mind, here's what he's thinking. If I continue in sin, grace may abound. <laughs> and that's the way his little carnal mind is operating. <laughs> And we were, that was to, to take them home from school early, that was grace, no doubt about it. It was grace. They did wrong and they got grace. But Wes, that didn't mean you can do wrong and get grace, right? I had to kind of explain that to him. But that's the way people think, right? People that aren't very concerned about the things they're supposed to be concerned about, holiness, doing right, living right, loving their parents and Loving schoolwork, you know. They think, man, you know, if I, 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 can, I can, what can I do and get away with these things? And there's been those in every century that has taught this heresy. Just real quick, I know what time it is, but I'm going to borrow about five minutes and go to, uh, go to Jude. Why don't you look over, or you can just, he'll put it on the screen, you can look at it. The book of Jude, chapter, what chapter are we going to look at? No, I'm kidding, chapter one. Verse 3, here's what, here's what it says. Here's what Jude said. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, and I, I, can't, I don't have time to deal with all these little things here, but it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. This body of truth, this body of doctrine that has been passed down from Christ to the apostles, to the churches. Okay, and here's why Jude felt impressed. Of course, he's under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. We understand that. But in his bosom, he felt a burden. He felt an impression to defend this faith. Because why? Verse 4, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. What are they doing? They're turning the grace of our God into what? Lasciviousness. You know what lasciviousness is? It's looseness. No restraint. 
No moral restraint. Just lasciviousness is whatever goes. Live however you want to live. Do whatever you want to do. And there were people, we're talking about, we're talking about not two decades or so. Well, maybe a little longer than that. We're not talking about just a few decades after Paul the Apostle starting these churches, getting these things going. We already have men creeping in. That means they, they blend in. They, they are spiritual terrorists. You know what spiritual ter- you know what terrorists do? They blend in and then they blow up. And what they were doing, they were blending in the church. They crept in. They looked like everybody. They acted like everybody. They said they believed what everybody believed. But what they were really teaching is the grace of God is your green light. It is your license to just live however you want to live and do whatever you want to do. Now, I want you to know, this is very interesting. that They were not, they were not, these spiritual apostates, they were not, uh, challenging how people got saved. If you were to ask them their doctrinal statement, yeah, you get saved by, it's by grace, right? You don't have to work to be saved. You don't have to keep the law. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do all these things. But they were, here's what they were muddying the waters. Here how they were, they were tainting doctrine. It wasn't on how to be saved. It was what is the result of salvation. That is where their heresy had come in. They agreed with everybody on the how a person is saved, but they would not agree on what a person experiences when they are saved. And Paul dealt, if you go back to the book of Romans, Paul dealt with this accusation in chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. And and I'm not even going to take time to read it all, but he said this, verse number 8, I'll just read verse number 8. He said that we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come. He said, man, that's what people are saying about us, that we say just live and do, do wrong, and God will just, in His grace, just work it all out for good. And Paul said, that's slander. That's not what we're preaching at all. We're not preaching this cheap grace, this sloppy agape and just whatever you want to do and everything goes and just live how you want to live and it's fine. And here, here, here's what it is, and I'll say this and I'll, I'll be done. That Paul is going to prove from the Word of God here, and we'll get into it next week, that this accusation actually comes from a faulty view of grace. If you look at grace as just a license to sin, as just God will just cover over and just whatever you do, you go out and live how you want to live. If that's how you really feel on the inside, you really feel like you can just live how you want to live and do what you want to do, and God, you know, He's just going to, you know, God's got it covered. It's like the rich girl with her daddy's credit card. Just swipe it here and swipe it there and do whatever I want to do. You know why? Because daddy will cover it. It's just taken care of. If that's how you really look at grace, then you have a perverted view of the grace of God. Now listen, I'm going to make a statement and I'm done. Paul's going to prove that this accusation comes from a faulty view of grace. Now listen, the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ is not just limited to forgiveness. That's not what the grace of God is all about. Does the grace of God and the gospel of grace, does it include forgiveness of sin? Yes. Yes. Thank God, yes. It's a big part of it, yes. But that's not the only thing grace does. Can I give you a little peek into insight? You know what else grace does? Grace will enable you 
to live holy and to live right. Titus 2. Let's, let's look at that verse and we'll be done. Get, throw it up there. I ain't got to look it up. Titus 2. You know these verses, right? The grace of God bringeth salvation and appeared unto all men. Verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That's what the grace of God does. The grace of God doesn't only cover over your sin. The grace of God enables you. And the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, that's what he's going to talk about here in these verses. It actually, the grace of God in the gospel enables you and actually puts a desire inside of you to want to live right for the glory of God. It's not the rich girl with daddy's credit card. It's... The, the obedient child that loves his father, that loves her father. And daddy says, look, I know you're going off to college and there might be some things come up. I'm going to give you this credit card. And listen, please just use it wisely and do what's right with it. And because that girl loves her daddy, even when daddy's not around, you know what she does? She don't go around spending it on booze and parties and all that kind of stuff. She keeps that thing and she says, you know what? I know if I, may, if I wreck my car, if I'm in a bind, if I, I know daddy's got grace to help me out. But there's no way I'm going to abuse this because I love my daddy. It ain't about what he'll do to me. It's about what I would do to him if I abuse this. And that's what grace does inside of a person. And these, these cheap grace people that believe you can just live however you want to do and do whatever you want to do and salvation. And even we get accused of that, right? Y'all believe in eternal security? That's, I mean, y'all, y'all believe you can just be saved and then live however you want to live. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. But there are people that do. Well, yeah, you, you know, just pray the prayer, sign the card, sign up. It's like life insurance, you know. You just sign up for it and... You're ready to go. You know, it don't change the way you live. It don't change anything that you do. It's just there when you die. You know, you got it when you die. Hell insurance is all it is. That's, man, salvation, if that's, that is cheap grace. That's not what salvation is. If you don't understand that salvation is something that absolutely radically changes a man, then you don't understand grace. and You don't understand the gospel of grace. Because Paul is going to deal with that. He said, God Forbid, verse 2. That may it never be. Absolutely not. No way. In fact, it almost insinuates that's disgusting that you would even think that. That's how strong that phrase, God forbid, is. How? That's his question. How? How is that even possible? It's not like, how could you? You're a bad person if you do that. It's, it's not compatible with true Christianity. It's not, like, it's not like how, like how could you? It's like how, like how can pigs fly, you know? I mean, it just, it doesn't, it's impossible for somebody that is safe to continue and live in a lifestyle of sin. God forbid. Why is it impossible? He said, because we are dead to sin. How shall we, verse 2, that are dead to sin? There's the key. There's the key. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer? You say, what does that mean to be dead to sin? Well, you got to come back next week and find out. Let's stand together.